All right, good morning, Dorisville Baptist Church. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning as you join us on Facebook Live and YouTube Live and on the radio and, of course, later on on YouTube in the afternoon. It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. And I have to say this, I just hope you could sense the passion of the worship coming through those camera lens. It's powerful. It's powerful. You know, last week, Robin blessed us with God still moves. God will move. Excuse me, God will move. And then... His eyes on the sparrow, his eyes on the sparrow, and then tremble. Darkness trembles at the name of Jesus. Isn't that powerful? I'm telling you what. I, you know, I say this every once in a while, Brent. You know, I love the old hymns. I really do. I, I'm a, I like all kinds of music. But the, the writers of today have a grip on words. They are word crafters. They are word crafters with the power of the music that they write today is just really, really incredible. Well, hey, this is the last week of Elijah. I really cannot believe how quickly um, it has come and gone. And today we're going to talk about the dark side of the moon. Now, let me tell you what the dark side of the moon is in case you don't know. The dark side of the moon is the side of the moon that is always facing away from the earth. It always is away from the earth, okay? It's also called, by the way, the far side of the moon. I found out, apparently, I'm not sure I even know who Pink Floyd is, but I think he came out with a dark side of the moon song. Because when I typed in dark side of the moon, all I got was Pink Floyd. So I had to look just a little bit further uh, to find what I was looking for, the real deal, you know, the real deal. But, but anyway, anyway, so it's the dark side of the moon, and what's really kind of weird is it's really not dark. It's really not dark. It's somewhat dark, but not, not totally dark, not like you would think. It's called the dark side of the moon because of its isolation. Um, because it always faces away, it's always isolated. And back, you remember, of course, in 1969, when Apollo 11 went to the moon and landed on the moon, it was a big deal when they went to the moon because they went on the dark side of the moon and they lost all communication. And they always said if, the, if somehow the spacecraft would have crashed on the dark side of the moon, they would have never found it. They would have never found it. It was a really difficult, difficult and scary place to be. Well, our friend Elijah... Um, makes, if you will, his own dark side of the moon. He, he finds his own dark side of the moon. And once again, it's dark because of the isolation. You remember from last week, he left his servant behind, he left the sanctuary of God, and he travels on. And he has made his own dark side of the moon. It's a place where, where really there's no communication. Um, God's going to speak to him before he speaks um, to God. Now, the good news is, is that when... We go in our depression or in our darkness, in our despair or our hurt or our pain or our fear, whatever it might be. Whenever we go to our dark side of the moon, the good news is God's already there. See, Laney, darkness trembles. Darkness trembles. The dark side of the moon trembles at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist knew this um, in Psalm 139. This, if you don't have this written down somewhere, is a really good scripture. You, you need to write this one down. In Psalm 139.7, okay, it's, it starts like this. You know, where can I go to escape your spirit? So, so if I was looking to get away from God, okay, or if I was in a dangerous place where God, I would think maybe God's not there, where could I go um, that I could escape your spirit? Uh, where can I flee from your presence? And that almost sounds like, you know, maybe you sinned or something and you're like Adam and Eve on their very, very bad day and you want to hide from God. Um, perhaps you feel like God has hurt you. Um, perhaps you're disappointed that God didn't perform um, the way that you thought that he should have. 
So, so the psalmist asks those questions. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Um, where can I flee from your presence? And then he starts this question and answer thing. He goes, you know, if I go to heaven, which seems the logical place, and it would be. If I go up to heavens, or to the heavens, why? You're there. You're there. But then he says this. If I make my bed in Sheol, or if I make my bed in the abode of the dead, you are there. So that's exactly what the psalmist, again, David, understood in 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Boy, we need that today. You know, even since, you know, this week with not only now the virus, but the unrest in our country, you know. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why? It's the exact same words. He is there. You are there, God. You're my shepherd, and you are there. So he says, if I make my boat in the dead, why, you're already there. Um, if I live at the eastern horizon, um, if I go as far as possible to the east, to the sunrise, okay, if I go that far, and of course, they had limited knowledge of the earth, then guess what? God would be there. God would be there. He says, if I go to the western horizons, if I go as far to where the east sets, or the sun sets, okay, guess what, God? You are there. Now, now look, look, this is better. This gets even better. Even there, as far as you could go toward the setting of the sun, even there, your hand will lead me. See, see, God's not only present in the dark side of the moon, he's active in the dark side of the moon. He's just not there to pat you on the head. He's there to lead you in the dark side of the moon. And let me say this before I forget too. This occurred to me about an hour and a half ago when I was still studying. You know, it's amazing is that Elijah is nowhere close to where God told him to be. Yet God didn't cross his arms and go, you shouldn't be there anyway. Good luck, bud. You're on your own. I'm glad we serve a God that's there even in our disobedience. He's there. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't throw us away. He's there. So, so the psalmist says, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand, your hand of power, your hand of authority will hold on to me, the psalmist says. And verses 11 and 12 are nothing short of awesome. That's just what they are. It's what they are. Um, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. If I say those things. Now, I know several of y'all in here have looked at, okay, the, um, the tunnel hill. Remember this, Brent? You know, how many times have we ridden that sucker? Okay? And so, but it's so funny. We were just there the other day. We were taking a hike. And um, no pun intended. And we were taking a hike. And we get there. And, you know, it's so funny because you see the entrance and there's light here. And then the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, it's light. And it doesn't look like it's dark in the middle, okay? And as you go into the tunnel, then slowly, okay, it gets darker. And, and what seemed impossible, because you could see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you go, it won't be dark, it won't be dark. And you get that halfway point, and dude, it's dark. It's, it's running to the wall if you're on your bike dark, you know? Uh, well, I think you did that one time. I think you ran to the wall one time on your bicycle. Okay, but you get in the middle, and, and the idea, the thought I'm trying to convey is, is darkness envelops you, envelops you. And, and the author says, surely the darkness, if I say surely the darkness will envelop me, consume me, and the night will be uh, around me, will be light. It's, it's the eclipse. It's a time when it should be daylight, but rather, it is dark. If all that happens, even the darkness is not dark to you. 
Okay, write that down in your hand. If I'm in the darkest moment of my life, or it's a time that should be light, but it seems dark, even, hey God, even darkness is not dark to you. You know, I got a slide of a thing with night vision goggles. Hey, we got that back there somewhere. You see it there anywhere? Oh, that's not there. Okay, cool. All right, check it. This is so cool. Now, first off, if it was standard, if it was standard darkness, if there was no night vision at all, you would see darkness. That's all you would see. And for so long, the technology was what's on the right here. It's kind of that a gray scale and sometimes a green scale, okay? But the technology is so far advanced that now they have cameras that will project night as day. Night as day. And that's the picture on the left, okay? And that is what the author is trying to say here. Darkness is not dark to you. And boy, aren't you glad for that? Hey, Robin, aren't you glad in these dark days we're living in? It's not dark to God. We may be walking in the walls, but God's not walking in the walls. We may be stumbling around the dark, but our God's not stumbling around the dark. I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad for that. The, and this is so good. The night shines like the day. So it's not just, oh, I can see in the night. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are like to you. Darkness and light are alike to you. And that's the God we serve. We serve this wonderful God. This wonderful God who is not afraid of the darkness. In fact, cast the darkness away. So, so when you take your trip to the dark side of the moon, it's very comforting to know that a God who's not afraid of the dark and a God who can dispel the dark is already there waiting on you. That is incredible. So, so we have our friend Elijah coming up. Elijah didn't probably have this, okay? The book of Psalms was not assembled by now. He certainly probably did not understand the reality of it. And when you don't understand the reality of your God being in the dark, if you don't understand the reality of your God dispelling the darkness, then something happens. Um, um, our anxiety and exhaustion explode, okay? Our anxiety and exhaustion does not come only from thinking about the future. Okay, it's just not, it's not just the fact that we don't know the future. I mean, we're a nominating committee today, and we're going, what about this? We don't know. What about small groups? We don't know. What about Wednesday night, you know, mission groups? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We have an unknown future, okay? And it's not just thinking about the future that causes our anxiety and exhaustion, but it's wanting to control it and failing. Hey, guess what? You can't control the future. The best thing you can do, period, is trust a God who can. Trust a God who can. And that is our fabulous God. So, so we got Elijah. He's on his dark side of the moon. He's, he, from last week we know he shows up. He, he gets there and he says, I've had enough. And that's what he said. I've had enough, God. I'm just ready to die. I'm no better than my fathers. They were a failure. I'm a failure. They're dead. And she is going to get me. I am going to die. He came to the dark side of the moon. So in verse number five, the first part, we read of Elijah. Then he lay down, he lays down and slept under the broom tree. Now, it would be awful easy to judge Elijah. Here we have the man of God. He's exhausted. He's weary. Um, he's alone and he's afraid. And we would, we'd so easy to say, perk it up, Elijah. Perk it up. 
You're the, guy, you're the guy who prayed a boy back to life. Hey, you're the guy. See, sometimes those words just don't work. I don't care how many people you raise from the dead. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And it'd be awful easy to judge Elijah. Don't. Don't judge people who are incredibly afraid of this virus. Don't, don't judge people who are so, so weary in this journey today. Don't judge them. You may have it all together and you, don't, you can't spell fear. God bless you. That's great. But don't condemn the ones who are wrestling. Don't, don't, don't be shooting the folks that are struggling. He lays down and he has this bitter prayer of death and I quit. And he goes to sleep. And he goes to sleep. I tried to give credit to this quote, and I can't. I found out everybody in the world claims this quote. Okay, all the preachers claim this quote. So I just made it my own. I added something. Okay? So here, it's so true. Sometimes, sometimes, the most spiritual... I'm going to read the way it was first. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. And you know what? That's true. See, God made us to rest. God made us... To rest. He made us to have a Sabbath, a rest. And we in our busyness have totally done. And I still, I don't know where I've got this written in, but I've got it written in on the other side of my page here. But I won't say it right now, so I won't forget. I still think that's what part of this is about. God put the pause button on our lives and said, hey, you're going to slow down. Some, you know, sometimes it happens when people have surgery, sometimes it happens when we're ill. But I think God just put the whole thing on pause and said, y'all need a break. And we should thank Him for it. I was talking to someone this week. I can't even remember who it was. But someone this week saying about, yeah, man, you know, we got four ball games and three practices. I was so tired. Was so tired. But they've had a break. Thank God for breaks. Amen? Thank God for breaks. So, so it's good. It's good that we take time to take a nap. And I wrote down, I added to it, sometimes the most spiritual, the most essential thing you can do is take a nap. You're not lazy if you rest. You're not lazy if you rest. You know, I love the story. This is what I call Jesus number one. You know, in Mark chapter 4, verse 37 through 38... Everyone knows this story, okay? This is where Jesus says, okay, boys, let's get into the boat. We're going to the other side. Remember that part? You know, and this particular one, one time he walks on the water, but this time he gets in the boat with them, and then we'll see what happens. The Bible says a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat and was already being swamped. Now, if, you're, if you know boats, the whole idea of a boat is to keep what's on the outside from getting on the inside. Y'all should like that. That was pretty... What, Robin, wasn't that good? Yeah. The whole purpose of a boat is to keep what's on the outside from getting on the inside. And by the way, that's the purpose of a Christian, too. It's to keep the world on the outside and Jesus on the inside. And that's our strength. That's our strength, okay? So when we start letting the world ooze in on us, we lose our power. And we lose our authority, okay? So anyway, so this great windstorm comes and the waves are breaking over the boat. And it's in danger of being swamped. It's in danger of swimping, uh, uh, sinking. And then we have in verse 38, he was in the stern... He was in the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. I love that. You know why? Because sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. If it was true for us, and it's true for Jesus. Jesus, in his humanity, was tired. He wasn't lazy. He was tired. So he does the most spiritual thing possible. He rests to regain his strength for the journey that's ahead. So he's asleep. But also, his trust. 
Do you know why Jesus could take a nap in the middle of a windstorm when the boat's being swamped? Because he believed his father was in control. He believed his father was in control. Do you believe your father's in control? Do we believe our father's in control of this mess? This hot mess we find ourselves in? Jesus did. Jesus did. And this is Jesus number two. Jesus number two is Mark 6.31. The boys have been busy in him. And Jesus said to them, come away um, by yourselves to a remote place. His counsel, the counsel of the Lord Jesus to his disciples was, hey, let's go to, let's come away. Let's go to a remote place and rest for a while. Now, now I know Baptists. I know Baptists. I are one. Okay? He didn't say quit. Hey, boys, we've done all our work. Let's just go to Florida and retire. That's not what he said. We're going to rest for how long? For a while. For a while. You know, some people take naps and never wake up, and they call that dead. They call that dead. I just called that. That was pretty good, wasn't it, Brent? Yeah, that's called dead. Okay? So we need to rest, Jesus says, come apart to a, a remote place and rest for a while. For many people are coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. And again, I really believe God helped us pause, hit the pause button, and take a break. And nothing else, he definitely hit the different button. Because everybody's life is different than it was just a few weeks ago. You probably never heard, may have heard, of a guy named Vance Havner. Uh, Vance Havner was a pastor who was just famous for his um, one-liners, his one-liner quotes. And he said this, If you don't come apart, you will come apart. Isn't that good? If you don't come apart, if you don't rest, then you will come apart, you'll fall apart, you'll break apart. Well, that's where Elijah is. So he needed to take a nap, and he did. And the Bible says in verse 5, the second part, but as he was sleeping, okay, an angel touched him. I think they made a TV series out of this. Touched by an angel. Uh, 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 okay, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. Now this is really, I think this is very, very sufficient. Okay, uh, here's the deal. Three to, how many times? Three times. Three times. Three times, God has miraculously fed Elijah. Can you remember what they were? The brook Cherith, the ravens, the seeds, the dates, the nuts, and an occasional dead mouse. Remember that? Okay, that's one time. Two, he sends him, uh, God sends Elijah to Zarephath, where a widow who has nothing, basically, is to take care of him. And God miraculously keeps the flour and the oil coming for the entire period of the trout until God says leave. This is the third time now. And he wakes up from the nap. Actually, he's woken up from the nap. He woke up and said, hey, get up, get up and eat, okay? And there is going to be bread and there's going to be oil, okay? Now, this is more than a Big Mac and fries. This is not about, hey, here's a cheeseburger and some fries. It's not about that, okay? Here's what it's about. It's about God proving to Elijah through physically providing that he also can provide emotionally and spiritually. God is all sufficient. God is all 
sufficient. And Elijah, as he processes this, is saying, if he provided for me in a miraculous way here, then he's my all-sufficient. Um, if he provided for me here, then he's my all-sufficient. And now Elijah's starting to get the idea of it, going, you know what? If God provides this bread and this drink now, guess what? He is all-sufficient. And I'm telling you, Elijah needs to hear that. You need to hear that. You need to hear that. God's not gone out of the sufficiency business. He was sufficient for Elijah. And Jesus, God Almighty, is sufficient for us. He is sufficient for us. So Elijah looked, gets up, looks around. He looked around. And there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate. He drank. And then he went back to sleep. Eat. Drink. Rest. Eat, drink, rest. Now, we're going to learn in just a moment that the bread he had here was some kind of like enriched bread. Okay? I was going to make a joke about sunbeam bread, but I didn't know if y'all knew what the sunbeam bread was. Y'all have something? S-O-M bread? Never mind. Okay, I'll leave it alone, leave it alone, leave it alone. Okay, anyway, move on, Dwayne, move on. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. And we're going to see in just a few minutes that Elijah was empowered by this bread in a supernatural way, okay? But we've got a bigger picture than that, okay? In, in John chapter 6, verse 35, here's what Jesus said. I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. See, Elijah had some bread provided by God that enabled him, and you're going to see it in just a moment, to go 40 days. That's pretty good bread, okay? But eventually, eventually Elijah, got, Elijah got hungry again. Okay, it lasted 40 days, which last time I checked, some bread lasted 40 days is pretty cool. You know, I give you a loaf of bread and be hungry by supper. Okay, but this bread lasted 40 days. But here's what Jesus says. I'm the bread of life, he told them. No one, someone say no one. Yeah, yeah. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. You taste, you partake of the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and you will never be hungry. You know why? He's enough. He is just enough. And then he says, no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He says, I'm the living water. No one who, who comes to me will ever be thirsty again. So we have the bigger picture. You know, just like Elijah had bread and water, we've got bread and water. But our bread and water is the risen Son of God who loved us enough, who died for us, that we could have forgiveness of sins. Somebody say amen. I'm just telling you, that is so cool. Okay? But then listen, listen, listen. Let's bring it all into the New Testament. Jesus said, I'm the bread. He said, I'm the water. If you, if you come to me, you'll never be hungry again. You'll never thirst again. But what about this rest word? You know, Elijah, lay down and rest again. Oh, listen. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, you know this. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And I, all of you. And I will give you, if you're weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Are you weary with this hot mess we're in? Are you weary with not knowing if there's going to be a paycheck next week? Are you weary with kids that sure wish they were back in school and weren't out those two months? Are you weary of some of the things that are going on in life? Yeah. yeah. But he says, come to me. If you're weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be better than a nap under a broom tree. I will give you rest. He said, 
Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart. I love this. I love this. I had to share this on the Baptist Hour on Monday morning, you know, and I was teaching from another scripture but tied this one in. You know, it's, it's so amazing. You know, back, well, even today, but back then they'd had a yoke and they would get a mature oxen who knew the ropes, okay? They would bring a young oxen next to the big, strong, trained oxen. And what would happen is the old oxen would treat, will treat, teach the new oxen, okay? So the old oxen would say, hey, boys, this is how you do it. And when Jesus says, when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, that's what he's saying. You know what he's saying? Monty, you know what he's saying? Walk with me. Walk, Annie, walk with me. Come, come walk with me. My, my, yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm telling you, if we will be wise enough to rest in the yoke of Jesus, oh, how our life, Robin, would be easier and it would so, so, like Elijah, we have bread. Like Elijah, we have the living water. And like Elijah, we have a supernatural rest in our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. You know, it, the song has come to the altar. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Dark side of the moon. Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, as we were singing these songs, I'm saying, Elijah only knew. If only Elijah could see what was coming in in 500 years. The Messiah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Well, in verse number 7, So the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up, eat some more. You've got to be a Baptist. Got to be about eat some more. Let's have another potluck. Eat some more. Or now, don't miss that word. If you got your, if you're doing the notes thing, or that's important. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Now, keep in mind. So far as we know, God's not said. Oh, by the way, Elijah, I want you to go. This is all Elijah's idea. But even so, God knew the journey that was coming. God knew the journey that was coming and said, listen, you need to eat some more because I know, okay, it's going to be too much. Are you glad that we serve a God who knows? And knows that we're going to take a journey and it's going to be too much for us. You know, I love Psalm 139, 16. I love it. I love it. I love it. All the days. That's what Psalm says. All the days of my life were planned before a single one of them was lived. God knew my life story. God, ooh, shoot that thing. God knew my journey. God knows your journey. God knows your life story. And he wants to provide and prepare for it. I love it. I wrote it this way. God knows the journey even before we walk it and cares enough to prepare us for it. Thank the Lord for a God like that. So in verse 8 and 9, you know, so he got up and ate and drank. Now here it is. Here's that supernatural bread. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now you know what I don't know? I really don't know if, if Elijah planned that. 
I don't know if he had, I'm going to the, I mean, I knew, I think he kind of had what he knew where he was going, but did he understand and realize the significance of he's going to the mountain of God? He probably did. But in verse number nine, there is a nugget there that is worth talking about. Okay? The Bible says there, there he came to a cave. Now, again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I'm not a Greek scholar. I can't even speak English, okay? Just be honest, all right? But the significance of this, that is, is the definite article in the Hebrew. So the best way to translate and say it would be this. There he came to the cave. Not a cave, not any cave, the cave. And most theologians believe it's the cave where Moses was where he saw the backside of God. How about that? Isn't that crazy good? Isn't that crazy good? Most theologians agree. That is exactly the, the way the definitive article means this was a renowned cave. This was a famous cave. This was, this was more than just a stop on the road. This cave was well-renowned. And most believe it was where Moses saw the backside of the Lord. So he's there, and he's experienced the sufficiency of God. Now, you need to write this down, too. God's grace is sufficient. No matter how dark your world is, God's grace is sufficient. No matter how long you're planning on staying on the dark side of the moon, God's grace is sufficient. No matter how deeply wounded you are, God's grace is sufficient. You know, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, you know, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfect in weaknesses. The weaker we are, the stronger he is. And that's great for Elijah. That's great for us. That's great for us. All right, well, it's time to get serious. Verse 9, the second part. So the Lord said, when he got to the cave, the Lord said to him, to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now that's a really good question. What are you doing here, Elijah? That, that's a question we need to ask ourselves a lot. You know, one of the Psalms says, you know, search me, O God, and know my heart today. See if there's some, some sinful way in me. God, search me. Why are you here, Elijah? Why are you, what are you doing here? Now, to get the full meaning of this, it's this idea. Elijah, why are you here and not there? See, God wasn't done with Elijah where he was. He wasn't done with the rebuke and judgment of Israel. But when the prophet left, he goes here. So God says, why are you here and not there? Why, why are you running from and not running to? Why are you running from and not running to? What business do you have here? None. What business do you have there? All. Now, one commentary said, Elijah may have been expecting a commendation. He may be saying, you know, God going, oh, good job, Elijah. Yeah, baby, come on. But there's not. There's a question. And it's almost a reproving question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? Verse 10, in this translation, the New Living Translation, is 47 words. And it's 47 words of self-pity and self-righteousness. So out of character for the man of God. Here's what he says. Elijah replied and said, I zealously served the Lord God Almighty. And that was true. Um, but the people of Israel 
have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. Well, that's partially true. And I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And that was partially true, but the part about where I'm the only one simply was not true. What, what Elijah has grabbed hold of is some truth, some untruth, and some half-truths. And that's what he's living on. Now, let me tell you something. Let me just grab this right here. If you try to live your life over anything besides the truth, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. You have got to build your life on the Word of God. You've got, to, you've got to build your life on the Word that does not fail. Amen? The Word that does not fail. Elijah was trying to have a grab bag of truth and untruths. So here's God's answer. And this is worth writing down. God's answer was, I am bigger than them, and I am bigger than you. Hey, Elijah... I'm bigger than Jezebel, I'm bigger than Ahab, and whatever remains of her entourage, how's that for a big word, okay, I'm bigger than all of that. Hey, and Elijah, guess what? The, the outcome of this does not depend on you. Oh, woe the preacher who thinks his ministry, if his ministry fails, that somehow the kingdom of God is going to fall apart. Hogwash. We are just men and... We get to serve a part of this. And you're men and women who get to serve in part of this. The success of the kingdom of God does not depend on man. It is dependent on God and God alone. Mm. 47 words. And so God said, I'm bigger than this. So he gives him a little show and tell lesson. Go outside... In verse 11, go outside and stand before me on the mountain. And the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. Now, so it's, it's easy to miss this. So the Lord is going to pass by. Okay. And here's how it plays out. Um, and the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm um, hit the mountain. It was a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. Okay? And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire after the earthquake. There was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Okay? And then after the fire, something happens. Now, what the windstorm and what the earthquake and what the fire does is it demonstrates the power of God. But God didn't speak through the wind. God didn't speak through the earthquake. God didn't speak through the fire. There were demonstrations of his power, but he didn't speak. How did he speak? I like this. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle There's a sound of a gentle whisper. God, to demonstrate his power, sends the wind and the earthquake and the fire, but God, to show his love and compassion for Elijah, sends a gentle whisper. Folks, let me tell you something. We'd be a wise group of believers if we would learn to whisper, for, listen to the whispers of God. Amen. You know, 
He whispers a lot. And we need to be still and know that he's God and be still and listen to his voice. Well, when Elijah heard it, apparently he went out and apparently in the frightened maybe, he comes back in, okay? But when Elijah heard it, the gentle whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And, and the voice said, no. what, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Now that you've seen, now that you've seen my majesty and power, why, why are you here? Why are you here? Elijah, why are you afraid? Did you see the wind? Did, did you see the, the fire and the earthquake? Why are you afraid? Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah, with, with me on your side, you can go face Jezebel. With, with me on your side, you can face Ahab. And, and those people that are still rebelling against me, you can face them too. And Elijah's you know, response. But I think the response, even though the words are the same, I think the heart is different. Victor Hugo, I'm trying to decide if I want to embarrass myself or not. There was a movie about the, I think it was about the French Revolution. And it's got that less miserables or something. What, how do you say it, David? I won't even try with that, okay? Can I just stick with less miserables? Okay. But anyway, Victor Hugo, in that movie, this is a quote from the, from the line. Listen to this. This is almost too good. The pupil, the pupil, the pupil dilates in darkness and in the end finds light. Just as the soul dilates in misfortune, and in the end finds God. Okay, now is that not good? Yeah, that really is good. May I read it again? The pupil dilates in darkness, and in the end finds light. Just as the soul dilates in misfortune, and the end finds God. I think this is his point, Dave. I think this is his point where Elijah rediscovers the power of God. Now, I know he says the same words. I know he does. But I think his heart is different. Why are you here, Elijah? Well, I've been, I have zealously served the Lord. Elijah, you have. You have, Elijah. Um, but the people of Israel have, have broken their covenant with you and torn down altars and killed every one of your prophets. Yeah, I know that, that seems true. It does. It does. And, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. Elijah, I know that seems true from your point of view, but it's not true. In fact, let me just read verse 18 to you. This is God speaking. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Elijah, you're not by yourself. You're not by yourself. You have me and there are 7,000 others who have not bowed to Baal. You're not by yourself. Elijah needs a job. So often when we're 
discouraged and broken and depressed. We need a job. Well, Elijah needed the assurance of godly purpose. He didn't just need a job. He needed godly purpose. Okay? So, godly purpose leads to godly protection. And godly protection leads to godly hope. You know, there's been a lot of talk about sayings like this, but I believe it's true, you know, that I am invincible until God's purpose for my life is done. I'm not invincible because I'm a child of God. A lot of good missionaries down in the mission field serving Him. But God's got a purpose for me, and God's got a purpose for you. And you're under His protection until that purpose is fulfilled. And when you understand that you have a purpose and that you have protection, you have hope. You can go face the Elijahs in your life. You can leave the dark side of the moon and follow him when you understand that. So God gives Elijah a job. He said, I want you to go back the same way you came. I want you to travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, I want you to anoint Hazel to be the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. See, the job wasn't done. He's saying, he's saying, Elijah, I'm not done. And guess what? You're not either. That's what he's saying to Elijah. Elijah, I'm not done. And neither are you. And I don't care. This may sound like preacher talk. If it does, I'm sorry. I don't care about coronaviruses and a crazy, a world gone crazy and, and all the threats that we have in this world, okay? My father is in control and I am in his hands until he says, I'm done. And when he says, I'm done, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to go to heaven one minute before or later it's Aiden can huff and puff and blow, but he can't blow this house down because I belong to God. And you, as, listen, you as a believer in Christ belong to God. Your life is in his hands. I decided to close today with uh, the book of Revelation. Because God's not done. In this crazy world we're living in, God simply is not done. And this is verse 3 of Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, no crying, there should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these things are true, and they are faithful. God's not done. And this is not going to be done until he's done. And all the powers of hell can oppose him. But guess what? God wins. God always wins. God always wins.
So today, if you find yourself in this mixed up, crazy, hot mess world that we're in, um, and you find yourself maybe in the dark side of the moon, you've got to remember, if you're a follower of Christ, that you have a God that's not afraid of the dark, that controls the dark. In fact, darkness is like light to him. And believe that. It's all about faith. It always is about faith. Just believe that. And if you're here today, and this somehow spoke to your heart about your current circumstances, and how you know what? You go, you know, I am afraid, Dwayne. I am afraid. Well, you know what? The answer, the answer is not church. And the answer is not religion. Uh, the answer is found in a man who died on the cross and shed his blood because the Bible says we've all sinned, and the Bible says that the payment for sin is death. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, not forcibly, but because he loved us. And he's willing, if you ask him to, and when we turn from your sin, he's willing to forgive your sins. And he'll take you from the dark side of the moon into his glorious light. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, so much for the privilege of sharing your word. Thank you for this journey that we've taken through the life of Elijah. Father, help us to learn. We are so blessed to live in the age of grace where we have so much more insight and knowledge to what you are doing. Thank you for the fact that, Jesus, you are our bread and we'll never be hungry. You're our water and we'll never thirst. And you are our rest. And we can be with you and stay with you and learn from you for all the time that you give us here. Thank you for that. Father, if there's a friend who's watching this morning and they're fearful and afraid, and they've never put their faith and trust in you. Would you give them that wisdom to ask questions, to find out exactly who you are and how much you love them and how you invite them into the family. So God, we give this time of decision for you. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.